It's Brittany, bitch. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Downsizing, a podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everybody would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey everyone, that was <laughs> unexpected and very much appreciated. Today we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 23, Michael Scott, Paper Company. In this episode, a rivalry is renewed, Jim keeps digging a hole, and the Michael Scott Paper Company gets off to a rough start. We kick off this episode with a cold open that begins with the classic moment that I referenced there, Michael pulling up to the office building in his convertible PT Cruiser, blaring Just Dance by Lady Gaga, not Britney Spears, and uttering the words, it's Britney, bitch. Lady Gaga and Just Dance were pretty big at that time, and then Britney Spears was sort of like, launching a comeback and I'm not surprised that Michael would be a Britney fan but also confuse Lady Gaga with Britney and they sound nothing alike for sure there's a lot of excitement to this cold open because it's the first day of the Michael Scott paper company and they have set up the location the closet in the office park and there is a ribbon Basically, it's just some gift wrap ribbon across the door. Michael cuts it with garden shears, and they are officially open for business. But as we get into the main part of the episode, we see that things are not going very swimmingly for the Michael Scott Paper Company. There is a lot of just sitting around in this episode and it makes it a little difficult to watch in my opinion because there's just like no work going on like there's no even like it's a very minor part of the show but like when they have scenes in the Dunder Mifflin portion of the building not just in this episode but in other episodes just hearing kind of the the phones ringing and typing and stuff like that like it adds a little uh, movement to the show if you will and so them just sitting in this closet with nothing going on is kind of tough to watch yeah it's just a series of moments more than anything else I would say and part of it is the fact that it's a paper company so it's only sales you have to have people to sell to If you've ever worked niche retail, I would say, like I worked at Hallmark in high school and Hallmark between the hours of 7 and 9 p.m., you're going to get like one customer. And so it's sort of like that. You're waiting to be engaged with. However, it does sort of seem like they should be maybe pounding the pavement for clients. Yeah, that's something that really kind of struck me with this episode and like I said everybody is just sitting around because they literally have nothing to do because they are essentially waiting for these this pancake luncheon that 
Michael is putting on later in the day to kind of get their business going. Right. You would think that, and we don't know how much time has passed between the last episode and this episode. It can't be too much, but... I would only say enough time in that they filled the closet with tables and chairs. Right. And so you would think that in that span of time, whether it be two weeks, a week, whatever, there would be phone calls that would have been made. Like they should be, like you said, hitting the ground running. There should be something to do for the first four hours of the day rather than just waiting for this pancake luncheon to start so they can meet people. And even this isn't sounding like it's a great idea because Michael is talking about it and he said six people have confirmed that they're coming and they have 11 no's and like one maybe, but 700 plus people have been invited and most of those people have viewed it and not said anything. Michael has decided that he's just doing sort of like busy work type stuff. Like, for example, he creates a coupon for unparalleled customer service. And he wants either Ryan or Pam to create copies of it on bright colored paper to give out at the pancake luncheon. Like that's doing something towards the business. He said he's updated his contacts. He doesn't know what more, you know, he can really do right now. But when it does get to the pancake luncheon, they don't even have business cards for the people that came and that are actually interested. So that would have been something, sort of a preparatory step to take for a new business. And because they only have 167 square feet in this closet, and it is essentially utility closet for with plumbing pipes, and it's kind of chilly, it's just not meant to be an office space. Tensions start to run high pretty early on. The goodwill of the cold open and the excitement for starting this new company and the first day wears off pretty quickly. And this is just kind of the inevitable and unfortunate part of working in an open office concept. Like you are going to hear what the person on the other side of the cube is doing or you know the person sitting you know five feet away from you six feet away from you is doing all the time and so this is even worse like you said in a very confined space and the main perpetrator of this tension seems to be ryan because he is really getting off on a good foot and phoning it in Almost immediately. He is just the worst. And Michael has always been weirdly admirable of him or had this weird, intense focus on Ryan and for no reason. There's nothing of substance behind it. And so we see Ryan doing things like making weekend plans on the phone while just walking around the office and talking about other people in the office in the office and there are two moments that are really kind of pinnacle ryan here where at the pancake luncheon michael asks if ryan wants one of the pancakes and ryan's like no i'm texting i don't want to get my hands all sticky 
and then later in the day there there's just kind of this blow up in the office and pam leaves and ryan asks michael are we staying until five today and michael's like yes ryan started out on the show as a temp probably right out of college she was doing business school seemed to have aspirations and then now by season five after a stint in new york as a vice president has fully reverted to full-on frat guy and he probably was a frat guy in college and he's he's just decided like that's who he's gonna be that's how his phone calls go like he talks on his on the phone with his friends like he's a high schooler almost about like oh my god we did a donut in the parking lot in front of a cop and he didn't even do anything and because he can't drive his mom drops him off and picks him up every day from work pam is pretty resolute in her new job title of salesperson she says that if she makes one copy by the end of the day she's the girl that makes copies and now she's back to being receptionist and she doesn't want that she left under mifflin and joined the michael scott paper company with the understanding that she would be in sales ryan doesn't want to do it and it's a it reminds me of his i think season three or four when there was a mess in the microwave and he's like i'm just terrible at that stuff i couldn't do it that's just not my wheelhouse where it's where as pam says it's just pushing a green button and making a copy is the easiest thing you could do with the copy machine <laughs> and michael is not at fault here either because he when he says hey somebody make copies of this he's like i'm the boss i don't make copies when it's literally like right. because of how the office is set up Michael could literally like turn in his chair and be able to make copies because the copier is right next to his desk. Yeah, it's one of those principal things, I guess, for everyone of this work is lowly. It's beneath me. I'm not going to be the one to do it, but there's no set of hierarchy within this office besides Michael's the boss. And what is now a very famous meme comes from this episode. And it comes out of this fight between Ryan and Pam about making the copies. And Michael's just extremely frustrated by the bickering. And there's a whiteboard set up in this office. And Michael has put up an inspirational quote. And it is, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take which is a Wayne Gretzky quote, but the way Michael has framed it on the board is that he has quoted the entirety of that, including the M dash Wayne Gretzky to then say, I'm the person quoting this, but I am going to give credit to Wayne here, but this is actually coming from me. And he's sitting in the meme. He's sitting there with his chin on his hand in frustration and then behind him is this big whiteboard with this quote on it. I always thought that that quote was attributed to Michael Jordan. I also believe that is accurate and I did not see anything in the information about this episode, but I do think he's falsely attributing it to Wayne Gretzky because he's a big hockey fan. Sure. Yeah. That's just, it's just one of those things that maybe was a joke that, didn't like the joke the joke itself lands but like the joke within the joke doesn't land in that 
this is Michael, similar to the very beginning of this episode where he is pulling up and says, it's Britney, bitch, while blaring a Lady Gaga song that he probably thinks is a Britney Spears song. Right. It is Michael attributing a quote to a person that is actually attributed to a different person. In quotes? But, but then again, I don't know for sure if Michael Jordan was the one that actually said that. Exactly, so. because quotes like that and, and stuff get distorted all the time. Like, apparently there are a number of quotes attributed to, for example, Abraham Lincoln or Maya Angelou that are just not accurate. Didn't John Oliver have something? And there's a website where you can go yeah. and it says, you know, this is who actually said this or nobody actually ever said this or whatever. And there's, I, and I think the latter, like what you said, no one actually said this is true. There's a lot of... Um, I don't know, just like peaceful, serene backgrounds with just sort of phrases on it. And then people love to throw a big name on there to give that weight. Yeah. I mean, somebody actually said it, obviously, sure. but it may not have been Michael Jordan or Wayne Gretzky. Yes. There's, there's a nice uh, park gardens area where we live. And in this park there are a lot of benches that have abraham lincoln quotes because we are from illinois and everyone is crazy for lincoln and i always wonder as we're walking through there how many of those are actually accurate because i believe the person that donated the money for the bench like got to choose the quote (laughs) and i wonder at a certain point if they just were running out yeah so all in all the michael scott paper company is not getting off on the best foot and really everyone should have seen this coming there's no reason to think that this was going to be successful all the reasons that it was not going to be successful have been laid out in previous episodes plus you have an incompetent boss a guy that doesn't want to do anything and got fired from a company for fraud and this is going to be mean but just kind of a downer very white bread plain former administrative assistant that has no sales experience and really has no idea what she's doing she doesn't like in this time of them just sitting around like she has no prior experience to be like okay well at Dunder Mifflin when we didn't have any sales calls to make or whatever weren't weren't re-upping with somebody we did this she hasn't done any of that before so she is stuck just sitting around with everybody else as well that's where Michael is really failing because Ryan is not this talented salesman either and so in these dead periods Michael could really be doing some sales training for his company that's a good point but that's not the type of boss that he is and that probably wouldn't have occurred to him and so yeah Curtis you're right in the sense that for all the reasons we articulated in the previous episode of just getting this business off the ground you now have can this be sustained like do you have the talent and personalities to make this work and in the beginning of the day it seems like that is a huge no. And another thing that gets completely glossed over here is that 
we have to assume that Michael, Pam, and Ryan together do not have the capital to get a business off the ground. We saw in the previous episode they had an investors meeting, which just ended up being with Michael's grandmother's investment group at her nursing home. So if that's literally the best that they can do, they probably don't have any money to furnish the office that they have to buy supply, to do anything. And so really it's very unrealistic to think that they could even have gotten as far as they already have. Well, they're getting the office space for free. The poker table clearly belonged to Michael and that's where Pam and Ryan are sitting. It's just a hodgepodge collection of furniture. So they could have just kind of collected that from themselves. But beyond that, like there'll be a need for internet. So how are they going to pay for internet and phone service? Like the, Those are the things that jump out immediately. They have a copier that wasn't cheap, I'm sure. I wonder if it's the old copier Yeah, that, I kind of had that Mifflin thought too. That just happened to end up um, there that doesn't work very well. So, yeah, but they are, they're definitely going to be stretching the bounds of how much they can do with, okay, I got this stuff from free, for free or I brought it from home. Okay. Because, yeah, like you said, they're going to need money to get off the ground. And in the next episode, that will definitely come up again. And so it really seems like the Michael Scott Paper Company is on life support from day one. We almost get the feeling that Michael sees the mistake that he made and is almost going to pull a plug on this sooner rather than later. Yeah. And he's not the only one having doubts. We see in this episode, Pam, after kind of just this spat with Michael and Ryan in the office, go back up to Dunder Mifflin and walk into Charles's office and say, hey, can I have my old job back? And she fights and fights and fights. It's like, okay, well, I can do this or I can do this or I can do this. And Charles rebuffs her at every single turn. And so she is now kind of in a position where she's probably more frustrated and upset than she was when she decided to leave Dunder Mifflin on a whim. Right. Oh, definitely. And just after the morning that, definitely agree with that. And after the morning of just spats and sitting around and just waiting for this pancake luncheon, she's just seen how good she had it. And she sits up in Dunder Mifflin in the conference room for a while and just says, I forgot that the air smelled so good up here and the chairs are so comfortable. And like she said, previous episode she just gets impulsive and bored and this is now the outcome of that yeah and like i said in the previous episode you really should have seen this coming yeah not great it does not look great for pam that she went in like with full gusto without really giving this some critical thought And so, as I said before, the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company looks like it is going to die before it even really gets started. And that all changes with one phone call. At the pancake luncheon, 
Pam does end up talking to one of the presumably six people that said that they were going to come and gives their contact information to him. Later in the day, they get a phone call and it is assumingly this guy wanting to order paper from them and he orders 20 boxes and so the Michael Scott Paper Company has made their first sale. This sale reinvigorates everyone, mostly Pam, who this is her first sale ever and really counts the day as a triumph. I don't know if 20 boxes at $43 a box is going to be enough to, you know, sustain this company for the long haul, but for the first day, they'll take it. Meanwhile, in Dunder Mifflin, a new face has reinvigorated a former romantic rivalry. We see that Charles has hired a new receptionist, and her name is Kelly, which does cause some confusion with the other Kelly that already works there. And so after a quick conference, new Kelly gets renamed to the name that we are more familiar with, Erin, which is her middle name. Erin is played by Ellie Kemper, and she will be a mainstay in the cast for the remainder of the series. I know that Antoinette is not a big fan of Aaron. I am not. I I prefer the days of Pam as the receptionist. And I think as the seasons go on, I think there was a lot of what do we do with Aaron? How do we give her storylines? And it's just interesting because in this episode, we get one shot of Angela. We get a couple shots of Creed and Meredith couple shots of Phyllis and Stanley so in seasons three and four we were really getting a lot of storylines revolving around some of the more minor characters but definitely I would say this season has been very strongly focused on the core of Michael Dwight Jim Pam and sometimes Ryan in Andy yeah Andy's in there as well you're right yeah and it is a weird thing because they didn't have to to do that really Ellie Kemper at this time is not like a household name not at all I think this is probably her first real mainstream thing she was involved with and I can't remember the name of like their troupe or whatever but she was like part of this comedy group that involved Donald Glover and two other guys if you've ever seen the movie mystery team i did not know that yes uh there is a movie called mystery team that if you have not seen it go check it out it is hilarious but it stars donald glover these two other guys one guy is in commercials every once in a while um and then the other guy is not quite so involved in stuff um but it is ellie kemper is also in this movie uh Audrey Plaza is also in the movie, and Bobby Moynihan from SNL is also in this movie. So yes, she is not exactly a household name that would really kind of require them to give her a lot of screen time and a lot of plot commitments. But her inclusion in the cast brings back the kind of 
love rivalry between Dwight and Andy. And this is kind of a weird back and forth episode in the sense that we see at one point that Andy and Dwight have kind of developed a bit of a friendship. It looks like they are planning on going on a hunting trip together. Yeah, Dwight says that he used to hate Andy. They were romantic rivals for Angela. And Dwight studied him to figure out why he hated him so much. And all that study just led to him realizing that he kind of likes him. And now they have this budding friendship. And so there is a moment in the kitchen area when Aaron is, you know, getting a snack from the refrigerator or whatever. And Dwight comes in and starts telling a story about the fact that there is a ghost that haunts the office building and it is a prostitute that was murdered in the building. And it is just this weird, weird story. And it's, I guess, Dwight's way of hitting on Aaron. I guess so. And so after this story gets told, Aaron is getting ready to leave. And at the same time, Andy comes in and they just do this kind of weird, playful, like the thing where you're trying to walk past somebody and you both go in the same direction. And it is very innocent. There was no, like, it was just Andy being Andy and it was Aaron being Aaron. And I'll go ahead and say this now, and it's probably going to be something that gets brought up throughout the rest of this series and it is weird to see that they establish Aaron and Andy as just kind of this very natural pairing in that they are very similar personalities they're both just kind of a little dim-witted but harmlessly so and they they do couple them together on a couple different occasions throughout the rest of the series but in the end neither of them end up with that person and in my mind they are probably the most natural couple of anybody that has been coupled together on this show well that's because of ed helms's filming commitments for the hangover so they had to make him mean and mean to aaron and then brought in like yeah somebody else in season nine and so i think Maybe had he not been committed to long stretches away for filming The Hangover, it could have been different. But they already did this. They already did that with Pam and Jim being engaged separate from each other while Pam was, as we talked about before, we assumed she was filming Walk Hard and Blades of Glory at that time. And so she only showed up every once in a while. Like, they did, they've did, they done it before. Yeah, and we'll get to it in season nine. It was just this very, season eight and nine, just this very weird thing. And, and really what happens is after Jim and Pam get married, Andy and Aaron sort of take on the will they, won't they thing of seasons one and two, but in kind of an annoying way, like you said, because they'll bring it, they'll bring them together and apart and then they're dating each other and then different people and and it does drag on and it's like you said and you bring up a good point that they assume the will they won't they role 
And I'm curious if the writers like were like, okay, we're going to do this thing with them. But the trope is that will they, won't they, they always will. Sure. And so we're going to make it to where they don't. But they don't establish this thing where we care about it. Exactly. There's not enough like fan and or at least from my end there wasn't enough fan investment to be like okay yeah I hope Andy and Aaron get together it was more like okay they're two really annoying people in some respects or the flip side of that the what the the end result actually is where they don't where we care about them enough to where it's like okay you know what I'm glad Aaron ended up with so and so and Andy ended up with so and so they they were better off as friends they truly care about each other but in the end they couldn't be together because x sure and so after this interaction in the kitchen dwight confronts andy about his potential feelings for aaron in just the weirdest way possible listen when i saw you talking to aaron earlier i noticed that your pupils dilated and your skin flushed and i'm assuming into your penis. Well, a little bit of blood rushed into mine as well. So where does that leave us? And so now we see the romantic rivalry between Andy and Dwight has now been reestablished. We see later in the break room there, but it kind of vacillates between friendship and rivalry throughout the episode so later on we see andy and dwight in the kind of vending machine area and dwight is playing guitar andy is playing banjo and they're just kind of i think just jamming out with each other and dwight is playing country roads by john denver and aaron is at the vending machine and she starts singing along and so seeing that Aaron is kind of impressed by this. Andy has to one-up Dwight, who then has to one-up Andy, who then has to one-up Dwight. And they just go back and forth until they're like, there. there's a switch to where they are no longer competing for Aaron. They're just having fun playing their respective instruments with each other. Right, Aaron then kind of slips away because they're back to doing this jam session thing really loudly until Toby knocks on the window and was like, you have to stop. This is crazy. So yeah, this is definitely a 180 from the duel we had just earlier this season over Angela. And at the very end of the episode, Dwight and Andy are walking through the kitchen. Angela is sitting at a table with I don't know if it was Oscar or Phyllis or whoever it was. And she sort of just rolls her eyes at, well, now they're, now they're buds. A continuing storyline in this episode is Jim's struggle to connect with Charles and not even just connect with, just show that he is a competent worker. To not like melt into a puddle of like anxiousness anytime Charles looks at him. Exactly. In this episode, Charles comes to Jim with what is seemingly a pretty simple request. Hey, Jim, 
can you give me a rundown of your clients whenever you get a chance? And Jim's like, yep, sure, got it. And then realizes he doesn't know what a rundown is. It's definitely the word rundown that is throwing Jim for a loop. In my estimation, a rundown is just a synonym for a list. Just tell me who your clients are and perhaps the contact uh, at that particular business and then maybe an address and phone number. Right. Who, what, where, why, when, how. Just yeah. who are they? Like you said, who's the contact? Where are they at? How much paper do they order? You know, something like that. Yeah. And Jim just panics and is panicked to impress Charles. He doesn't ask for more follow-up questions. And Charles is sort of sick of Jim. Like he has this impression of Jim and kind of everything that Jim does falls into that impression, I would say. So then Jim is stuck toiling on, oh my God, what is this? And he asks Oscar, hey, do you know what this is? And Oscar's like, why don't you just ask him? And Jim says, it's been hours. I can't go back and ask him now. And so we see, similar to this, just attempts by Jim to figure out what this is. He asks Charles, hey, can you just give me an example of what this would look like? Just like what format you want it in, whatever. And then I can get that to you. There's another time where Jim is at his desk working and Charles in passing his desk is like, hey, got that rundown for me and Jim's like oh no I was just working on this and taking a break from the rundown I'll get back to that now and and says that he's working hard on it and Charles it's almost like he knows at this point and he's just messing with like Charles goes oh so you're working hard on that and Jim's like oh well I mean not too hard you know just hard enough and Charles is like oh well you know we wouldn't want it to work harder on anything than we should right Jim just cannot catch a break in this interaction and keeps digging further and further and so finally Jim gets his rundown whatever that is ready to give to Charles and Charles doesn't even look at it he just says all right just send that out to the distribution list and Jim is again just torn here because he doesn't know if what he has in his hand is worth anything, is <laughs> yeah. what Charles is looking for. And now he has to send it out to a distribution list that he doesn't know what that is either. Right. He's like, my distribution list? Like, clearly Charles is sort of operating at a different level. And Dunder Mifflin Scranton probably didn't operate at that level. At And, and this is probably basic business stuff that maybe every other branch easily handles so that really kind of wraps up this episode let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode so as I said last week this episode aired on the same day that the dream team did just with the Parks and Rec series premiere sandwich in between And this episode had a different title sequence since it was just about the Michael Scott Paper Company. It was all focused on that rather than Dunder Mifflin. And I thought they did a good job with that. So when, you know, John Krasinski's name comes up, they show a picture of Jim on Pam's work area. She doesn't have a desk. 
And so, yeah, the ways that they incorporated the people who were included in the title sequence that aren't working in the Michael Scott Paper Company was very clever. The only one that was a little bit more difficult was obviously Rain Wilson, and I believe that's a shot from a scene from the next episode. So Rain Wilson and Ed Helms in their guitar banjo sort of jam session, they practiced that in Ed Helms' trailer before shooting the scene, and Ed Helms is a very prolific musician and very good at the banjo. Rain Wilson knows how to play guitar, but definitely was not as proficient and experienced as Ed Helms. Ed Helms really liked the opportunity to play banjo on screen since he really enjoys the instrument, but to him it's a bit of a mystery why Andy, this preppy guy from Connecticut who's into acapella, would be that well versed at the banjo. That's a good point. To him it just didn't make any sense, but it was a thing that Ed Helms, the person, knew how to do that then they just wrote into the show. So prior to this episode, so NBC at this time was really doing a lot with The Office on its own website, and they had the Dunder Mifflin Infinity website as the official fan website of The Office, but they've created a new website, the Michael Scott Paper Company website, for just this episode. And you could download a copy of Michael's coupon for unparalleled customer service from that website. Curtis, did we have any firings this episode? We do. Ryan gets fired on the first day of his brand new job for multiple sexual harassment type situations. Yeah. He, on a phone call with some guy, he is walking around the office and he doesn't specifically say Pam's name, but he says she'd be like a six in New York, but she's like a seven here. And then he talks about Michael, like he says, and then the boss, blah, 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 blah. So clearly, since there's only two people that are employees for the Michael Scott Paper Company, he was talking about Pam. But the most egregious violation is him putting up a desktop background of a topless woman on the, not just his laptop, because that would be bad enough, but the shared office laptop. Yes, they only have the money for one laptop. It's probably Michael's personal laptop, quite frankly. And Ryan has spent most of his time with it just uploading this desktop background. It is Ryan's third firing this season. It's his fifth overall. Antoinette, what is your Dundee for this episode? The It's Foolproof Award goes to Kelly... Kelly is just enamored by Charles. We've talked about that before. But her strategy now is to just hover around Jim's desk, stare wistfully into Charles's office, just creepily a little bit at him. Then, because the new receptionist's name is Kelly, before she decides to go by Aaron, she waits until... Charles calls out for Kelly. Then Kelly Kapoor runs in and says, Charles, yes, you wanted me. And as Jim explains, Kelly's plan is to just do this enough time so that then Charles will then want her to sort of fall in love with her in this way. Now, it doesn't really work in Kelly Kapoor's favor 
it results in Kelly, the new receptionist, Kelly Hannon, getting renamed as Aaron, and Kelly Kapoor stomping off in a bit of a fit because her middle name is Rajnaganda and she hates it. Curtis, what is your Dundee? The Well, That Didn't Take Long award goes to Ryan for just being insufferable on day one of his new job. Like we said, he gets fired, but he is just over-the-top douchey uh, here. And this is something we've talked about where he just goes through different phases of his his character. And this is probably the worst ideation of him. Yeah, he, he has he's annoying in season six, but he's this like different level, like hipster guy annoying. Uh, but yeah, this frat boy douchebag sort of thing is pretty bad. Who's your employee of the month? I'm going to go with co- employees of the month to Andy and Dwight just for being buds after hating each other for a while. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Pam just because she made her first sale and that's a big moment for her. I mean, she didn't really make the sale though. Like she just happened to talk to this guy and give him their contact information and then she was the one that answered the phone because... Nobody else wanted to. Yes, those are the correct circumstances of the situation. However, it made her happy, changed her day around, so I'm still going to give it to her. This is true. So that does it for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates and continue listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.